I'm going to try sitting. It's a new concept for me. I know, you just don't like me, Linda. It's okay. <laughs> I taken, I, two years ago, I got a stand-up desk, and, and most people think I'm a little nuts because I don't even put that desk down at all. So sitting is a new concept. We'll see how this works. Good evening. I am Rick Brown. I am for another week plus the division chaplain for 4th Infantry Division at Fort Carson. Uh, you know it's pretty bad when they go to the bench and pull me up here, so. <laughs> Not true. The reality is, is that this is probably, I think only the second time that I have had an opportunity to be uh, in a civilian church, well, not be in the civilian church, but to speak or to lead the study at a civilian church in about 19 years. The last time was here, uh, and the last time was Scott had a kidney stone. I was called at 6 o'clock in the morning. You're on. You know that pastor says be ready in season and out? I think Doc's testing me. Um, when I was talking with... Uh, Doc through Linda and text message, seeing how he's doing and what's going on, and they asked me to do this. I figured it was a great opportunity to, uh, one, what's kind of laid upon my heart a bit for dealing with tonight, but the other part of that, if I can get this to quit annoying me, um, is what, what's just happened yesterday was some uh, election going on. And our involvement in the civil government per se. Obviously, because uh, of the uniform, I represent in some ways the Army, but the words tonight are my own disclaimer. It's not the views of the Army. Um, I just don't have time usually by the time I get off work because I end up working late. It's a choice. Anyway, um, to change before I come, so you got what you got. But talking about civil government and, and our involvement in that piece of it, um, it's really kind of been something that has worked through my life since before I could vote. Um, all these stories that Scott talks about, you do that, everybody's going to be blinded off my head. <laughs> um, all these stories that Doc talks about of growing up in the church and whatnot, I know these stories. I grew up, I'm a third generation Assembly of God minister, and so I, I, what he talks about, I know, I lived it, but what I saw in those times of my growing up through the 70s and 80s and whatnot is the church reluctant, reluctancy to be involved, engaged in the civil government. It's, it's been a kind of a um, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good type mentality that, well, God's coming back, what difference does it make? And I think that some of what we're reaping today, these years later, and last number of years, is because the church has said, well, I'm not but a guest in this world. God's coming back, so what difference does it make? And I think we're reaping some of that. As we have not taken and been engaged and involved in our civil government, and I really think we should be, we need to be, in a minimum of dealing with prayer. But like Keith, Keith King has put himself out there, served on state government, served on the local government. I mean, that's putting yourself out there. That's taking and putting into action your faith in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of people who get into some of those places and you wonder if they ever had a faith in the first place, though they claimed to prior to getting there. And then once they get there, they, they go, faith, what's that? Um, but we need to be engaged and involved because we can't complain about what's happening if we're not engaged in that. And as Christians, I think it's imperative to be able to take and prevent some things happen. God's going to get engaged and involved in it, yes. But we have a responsibility. I could, most kids growing up, they couldn't wait to drive. I knew I was going to get to drive, just 
were from a rural, rural state and a rural town. In fact, I had my learner's permit, and I got to drive wherever I wanted to without anybody beside me. I mean, that's what kind of rural places we come from. What excited me more is the day I got to go vote. And it frustrated me that I turned 18 on a year that wasn't a voting year. I was like, really? I got to wait? That excited me. Um, I'm not as much into the uh, government like Didi is. She likes to watch C-SPAN. That's, that gets, that's getting a little crazy there. Um, but when we look at Scripture, we see that Scripture is full of dealing with the civil government. In fact, we see that Moses set up somewhat of a civil government. We see that Moses was struggling in leading the people of Israel, right? And his father-in-law comes to him and says, Moses, there's a way to handle this. And we look at in Exodus and Deuteronomy, we see that he sets up people to be in charge of certain groups of people. Someone's facets of that. But let's take a look real quick. Romans 13 is one of the large pieces of Scripture that deals with that silver government piece. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1, said, Every person should obey the government in power. No government would exist if it hadn't been established by God. The governments which exist have been put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists the government opposes what God has established. Those who resist will bring punishment on themselves. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Because if you're like me, the first thing you go to is also that passage that says, better to serve God than man, right? Well, doesn't that mean we're supposed to resist? And we look at Paul and Silas. And they ended up in jail. And others were condemned and hung upside down. And a whole lot of other things happened to them. Were they not being disobedient to the government? And I would tell you that there's places and times that we should be disobedient. When, it, when the government is saying, don't do the spreading of the gospel, I think there is a time to go against that government. But the bottom line is it says here, we have to expect there's consequences for actions. The problem that we have sometimes is we go, well, I'm serving God. Why should I be punished for serving God. You're not being punished for serving God. Right? That's not the, what the punishment really comes down to. Because then why do we, what's the point of serving God? The point is, is that when we make those calculated decisions. That the government is coming against our faith, our belief. Coming against scripture. There's times that we should push back against that. Look about churches around the world. Look at churches in China. Those Christians are disobeying the government by having church there. But they also have to be willing to accept the consequences. So what this comes down to is there's going to be a point you're going to make that decision. There's going to be a consequence. That's, that's a suffering for Christ is what we're talking about there. Verse 3. People who do what is right don't have to be afraid of the government. But people who do what is wrong should be afraid of it. You know, there are laws and rules in our government that are there for our safety, our protection, and whatnot. If you're not going to follow them, then you should be afraid. You know, what happens when you see blue lights coming behind you? Oh, no. Right? Well, is there a reason to? Well, if you're not dis- disobeying the laws, I mean, I'd driving home yesterday and there was a police officer in, in one of the lanes and he was going a little bit slow under the speed limit. The traffic was kind of backing up behind him and whatnot and I was able to get by and I went on past and it was like people go, you could do that? He's not going to the speed limit. I don't, have, I don't have any reason to be afraid of him pulling me over because I'm doing nothing wrong and that's what we're seeing here. People who do what is right don't have to be afraid of the government. But people who do what is wrong should be afraid of it. Would you like to live without being afraid of the government? Do what is right and it will praise you. The government is God's servant working for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. 
the government has a right to carry out the death sentence. It is God's servant and avenger to execute God's anger on anyone who's, who does what is wrong. Therefore, it is necessary for you to obey, not only because you're afraid of God's anger, but also because of your own conscience. And then it goes on to talk about paying taxes. If you're going to disobey the civil government on laws that have no harm to your spirituality, then you have reason to be concerned. But if you're doing what's right, you have no reason to be concerned, and you shouldn't be breaking the laws that don't affect your spirituality, right? That's what this passage is talking about, but we see, I think what this talks is also that it gives us the right, the privilege, the opportunity to be engaged in that civil government, to ensure that the government is going to do what is right. And are sitting back and saying, whatever, we reap what we sow. And we get what we get. There's, there's many other passages. Matthew twenty two twenty one talks about the taxes and paying to Caesar what is Caesar. But oftentimes, one of the things I find, and I will tell you, uh, I'm very happy to be a part of the military because then I can act like I don't care about what's happening in the government because I'm supposed to be apolitical. I do care. But I like the passage in 2 Timothy that says, uh, whoever serves in the military doesn't get up in non-military activities. Yay me. Uh, but also it's frustrating because there's things I have to say that if I say them about certain people, I don't get to continue to serve what I'm doing what I'm doing. But part of that is dealing with respect for our government, respect for its leaders. And we can have troubles and struggles in that. Everybody have struggle respecting somebody? It's hard. When they're not doing the right things, when they're bringing about things that are counter to what Scripture says and whatnot, it is difficult to do so. I will tell you, as one who has been in the military for 34 years now, there's been a lot of political and other things that have taken place in my time of serving that I have not necessarily been in agreement with. And a lot of people that I prefer not to respect. But we have to go back as Christians to Scripture and consider those factors. And is what we are doing representing Christ in how we are dealing with people? Now, I believe it's okay to stake and say, this law is wrong and here's why. Or this individual in what they've said is wrong. I think sometimes we attack the individuals and forget they're created in the God's image. And we see in Scripture that people are in place because God's put them there. And you're going, really? Some people are there? Well, there are things that's got to take place in this world to usher in Christ's second coming. That's reality. There are things going to take place that are going to take and, and be agents to usher in the second coming of Christ. But if we are attacking individuals and if we're doing it publicly, how are we representing Christ in doing that? Is that attitude proper according to Scripture. Several passages here that I want to take a look at. I'm going to call them out if somebody will, will grab them. Titus 3.1. Going once, going twice. 1 Peter 2.17. Over here. 1 Timothy 2.1 and 2. Jeremiah 29.7. You want that, Nikki? And one more. Proverbs 21.1. Got it, Marshall? All right. Let's take a look at this, and let's look about our response to dealing with 
leaders in the government in those positions. So let's start with uh, Titus 3.1. Mm. Submit to the government and its officers. Be ready to do what's good. I think that's important. That doesn't say that we can't be um, against certain laws and things that are going against Scripture, going against our faith. It doesn't say that. That's part of doing good, but there's some respect that is, is to be given there. Because when you submit, there's got to be some respect. So you can be against the things, but we've got to be careful if we're attacking the people. 1 Peter 2.17. Treat everyone with dignity. And... Um, our new commander that came in last year, General George, he had uh, he had a uh, he has this philosophy that uh, one of them his it spells out ready, and the first one is respect for others. Respect for others, I think that's huge in being able to. Uh, talk to the world about who we are as Christians in showing them respect. Sometimes we fail because we don't show that respect for individuals. We lose that respect for individuals. I like how it says at the end of 17 uh, here that says, honor the emperor. Is that always easy to do? makes it very difficult. How do you honor somebody that isn't honorable? Anyone? Anyone else? How, how have you in your life at times had to show honor to somebody who does not, in your opinion, deserve honor? They don't seem like an honorable person. Deal with the truth. I think that's that's huge, and you can do that without disrespecting that person. Yes. It makes it very difficult, doesn't it? It is a tough. I think it makes it very much challenging. I think that's one of the things we are insulated from. I mean, we can look across 
our history at various presidents and say, well, I like them and I don't like them and, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, we, we, in a lot of ways, depending on your political views, we really generally have not had it that bad when we compare it to some of what the rest of the world faces. And I think it's a lot of it is because the, the prayers that we have that, that, and that's why they try to shut down in a lot of countries that Christian faith because it is a power they don't want to deal with. I would tell you that as a soldier, there are many people that I give honor and respect to that I don't necessarily like. I mean, their position, their rank, their authority. I can, I can give them a salute and respect their rank and the individual um, and not have much with whatever they're doing because they're just in the wrong road. And we've got to find that spot for us within that. Uh, honoring an emperor. I mean, consider what we see that of that time of that emperor at that time. Was that easy for Peter to write? Do you think that was easy for Peter to say, honor the emperor? Pretty bad time back then. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. How many, your first response to a situation is to pray for that individual? I would tell you, a lot of people, their first response is, I'm going to post that on Facebook and I'm going to blah. Right? We should be the first responders, right? And our first action as a first responder. And I look at Marshall, when, when we are out in combat, we get muscle memory, what we call it. You know, you train and you train and you train and you train, so when bullets are flying around you, you automatically do something. Right, Marshall? For me, I dive down because I don't have a weapon to do anything with. <laughs> now, that's probably a lie. I run to the bullets and my wife drives her nuts. <laughs> Um, but you train in such a way. So my question to you, are you training yourself that your immediate response to things that you see in our government is such that you immediately, it's a prayer. Now, I like a general that I had, General Ben Alstein, great man, great man, great man of God. I was a basic training chaplain at Fort Jackson, when he was a commanding general there. And I invited him every time we had a new cycle of soldiers. Every nine weeks, we got a new set of soldiers. And he would come every Sunday uh, to that first Sunday uh, or within the first two weeks of us getting new soldiers. And he'd come in. And he would talk to the soldiers a little bit about his faith. He didn't go in-depth in it, but if he's going to be at chapel... You kind of know that he must be a man of faith, and he was. And I like what he said, and I've taken it on myself. That he talked about bullet prayers. And he had asked soldiers, you know what a bullet prayer is? He said, it's in those times that you can't do anything else but say, God, help me. God knows what's on our heart, and there's times that we're in situations that we see things, that things are happening that we're not sure what to pray, but we can say, God, help our country. Help me be able to enact and react to these things. I will tell you that I'm, I, my prayer is that 
people within this church would have a call to be engaged in both the local, state, and national government. That have a burning to not compromise their faith and let it impact. And not get so wrapped up with voters going to be happy with me if I practice my faith. And be more concerned, is God going to be happy that I'm practicing my faith in this? But pray for all things. Pray for our kings. I have seen it through the paralytical climate of numerous years that Christians sometimes get more caught up in complaining about things and less on their knees before God that God will impact and change. Jeremiah 29.7. That's interesting. Here we're talking about a group, the, the Israelites have been exiled to Babylon. And if you know Babylon, Babylon's not a great place to be. They built the great statue, expected that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel would bow to the, the statue and, you know, they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Babylon's not a great place. Better known as Iraq. Iraq's still not a great place. Been there, done that one. It wasn't a great place, but what did it say there? Did you catch what it says there? Read that again. Hold that again. I like my translation. I use a translation called God's Word. Picked it up in 95. Uh, as soon as God would give them to pastors. It says, very same, pray for the Lord. Pray to the Lord for that city. When it prospers, you will prosper. Your welfare, what happens, impacts us, doesn't it? What happens in the city impacts us in our lives here. What happens us in the state in the nation impacts us. And our first response again, as it says here, is pray because what happens here impacts us. We are not immune from it. So it goes back to what I talked about in, in, in the beginning of the fact of the Christian community for years was not engaged in the civil government because they're so focused on heaven. And it's good. We should be focused on heaven. We should realize that, praise God, we're not going to have to deal with this world forever. But right now, it impacts us. And we have a responsibility to pray. And I think that prayer, don't be surprised if it makes you be engaged. Last one. Proverbs 21.1. I think that's a, an important piece for us. The king's heart is like streams of water. Both are under the Lord's control. When we're in prayer, when we're dealing with the government and we're praying about it, God's able to impact that leader and cause him to go where he wants him to go. If we spend more time complaining about it, Instead of being engaged in it, we can only expect what's going to happen. True? And that really brings me to another part that I want to be able to do tonight. Because I've had people ask questions. Because I am a chaplain in the military. And and we know that the military has become in a lot of ways, a a testing ground for things, for an expansion of, of, of various things. And it's an impact in a 
the government's impact in the military is huge. So I want to give you the opportunity to discuss this or discuss, ask me questions concerning what I do or anything else that you want to know to understand concerning our military and the impact on Christians as a whole. It would be easier if you knew that ahead of time and you could have brought your questions with you tonight, but I'm going to toss it out there. Fortunately, they're going to have to change a lot of laws to, be, to get to that point. question was, is, you know, when they start telling you you can't do X, Y, Z. And so Marshall and I are two different sides of, the, of this coin in some ways. He is a, as a uh, line officer. There are some parameters for him that are not parameters for me. And the bottom line is, is, is those parameters are a little bit looser than than sometimes they like to say. Uh, so if they start saying, you can't do this and you can't do that, what am, what am I going to do? Well, fortunately, there's a lot of laws that have to change first. Uh, one of the things that we toss around within the military oftentimes is Title 10. Title 10 is a federal law that covers what I do. There's a whole lot of things within Title 10, several hundreds, thousands of sections in there. Uh, and one particular section deals with chaplains specifically. And it is what makes it, by law, the military has to have chaplains. Um, it also is what protects us and guards us. There's been some profile, high-profile things going on in the news. Some of you may have seen uh, of a chaplain in... Fort Bragg, who was supposedly going to get in trouble because he supposedly denied a same-sex couple to go on a marriage retreat. Well, the, in Title 10 is a law that says a chaplain does not have to violate his endorser's uh, doctrines and theology. It'll, it says we are bound both by law and by our endorser, to, to teach. So that's the first thing that would have to change is that law in itself. And from that flows a whole lot of other laws and regulations that govern our protection of freedom of religion. Um, and really it covers anybody else who is serving the military, their protection of freedom of religion. They have the opportunity to share their faith at this point. Now I would say that Someone like Marshall, who is a line officer who, who is in charge of people, he has an influence over them, so he has to be cautious in how he talks to them because he has undue influence in them. And it could be seen as he's given them an order that they must go do and become something. But if somebody asked him, Sir, I know you have a faith. Can you talk to me about it? He has the opportunity to be able to share that. I think there is there going to become a point? Maybe. Possibly. I think that somebody like Marshall and others who are serving both enlisted and officer will have to come to terms of, of what they are in that. Um, if they don't change the law to remove chaplains, then I'm going to be fine in that. Uh, the laws allow me to preach what I need to preach. Uh, it allows me to take and pray in Jesus' name if I, if I choose to. Um, so I'm not controlled. Uh, the thing is about the military is I will say it's a more of a mission field now than it was many years ago. It's never been a Christian organization. Uh, there's some that believed it was a Christian organization uh, in some ways. I don't think the military has ever been a Christian organization any more than really in some ways we've been a Christian country. Um, there has been, through the years, social religion, I'll call it, because a place to gather and go was the church. 
And so people went to church and they go to the chapel because that was a place to go for social and that brought status to them. It was a status symbol more than it was a personal faith, which I think is why many churches are impacted in their choices of how they interpret the scriptures. Um, but it was social. If a commanding officer went, I've watched it. It's really funny to watch. If a commanding officer, a senior person, attends one chapel service, suddenly everybody goes to that chapel service. And the next commander comes in and he goes to a different chapel service, suddenly everybody goes to that chapel service. Is that because they have such great faith? No, not likely. (laughs) They're trying to get their evaluations boosted up because they know that's where that commander goes. Um, suddenly people become Catholic, is what I've seen. Or they suddenly become Protestant. It's like, last week you were... Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so, is there going to become time? Yeah, at that point, I think the laws would have to change, and then we get into more of a mission field. Like, God's still calling chaplains to come and serve. Christians, strong Christian chaplains. Um, and as long as he's doing that, we're going to have to figure that piece out. Anyone else? Newer soldiers coming in, as, as in their faith, or how's that impacting? You know... In a lot of ways, in society as a whole, it's come to whatever you're doing is your thing and not mine, nothing to be worried about or concerned about. Um, So they are more accepting of various things. The other thing is, is they chase after fads and what's cool. And so if somebody is... And I, I will tell you that I don't think there is any true atheist, and I think Pastor Scott has said the same thing. There's agnostics out there. Uh, but that's one of the cool things to do. Humanism, free thinkers, uh, is a cool thing to do more than anything. And I think the greatest problem is, is these kids are hungry for what is truth, what is spiritually true. Um... And unfortunately, they haven't seen that in our world. Um, They've seen too many uh, TV people who uh, claim one thing. I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about this uh, evangelist who was telling people that God has said that uh, he should have a $50 million plane. And they need to send their money for it. Um, problem is, is you already have four of those $50 million planes. Now, does that mean he needs, does he need them? I, I don't, I'm not going to judge what his ministry is. But they see those things and go, I don't get it. Okay, if it's really spreading the gospel and that's the thing to have, then okay, I got it. If it is a status symbol that he's using, and that's what really a lot of them see it as, it's hurting. It's not helping. Uh, so when you see some of those fake things, they really don't want their ears to be tickled. What I have found is they give me the truth, give me the straight, and let me decide if I want to accept it or not. Don't try to manipulate me to get me to believe. Um, our greatest challenge is having a conversation with the senior chaplain at Fort Carson uh, over the last several days. And the question is, is why are we not getting young people to come to church? Why are we not getting them to come to chapel? What's, what's missing? What are we not getting? Um, and I don't think it's new gimmicks and whatnot. It's, they just don't know enough to know what. And it's not cool. It's not a status symbol anymore. 
So they're not hearing, but we've got to reach them. So it's a challenge. challenge is, is that our youth are unchurched. Huge difference. Um, I've been to uh, three combat deployments. Uh, my first combat deployment was uh, in 2004 to 2005. And it is amazing to see that these boys, they were boys. You look at the pictures before, and they were boys. And, and a lot of these guys are now 30-something, because it's been uh, 13 years since I served with them. Um, so you know when it's been 13 years since you served with them, and they're only in their 30s. They weren't very old to start with back then. And you, I see the before picture, and I see the after, and, and these boys become men. The greatest impact that most soldiers deal with and, uh, is not, I would tell you, anybody who comes back from combat are, is going to be impacted one way or another, whether they be an infantryman or a chaplain, you go, you're going to be impacted. I mean, it's, it's just going to be a change in who you are and how you do things. Uh, it's probably part of the reason I stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning a lot of times. Uh, Partly is because back in Iraq, in my first deployment, if nothing happened before 2, nothing was going to happen until after 6 in the morning so I could sleep. Um, but we talk about PTSD. We talk about uh, the other things. And what we are beginning to learn is there are some that truly have PTSD. And then there's others... What we see is a symptom, not, not the thing we're trying to fix. Um, what the greatest challenge that many soldiers have is what we call moral injury. Um, it's, they know what's right and wrong, and they go into combat, and they have to engage in ways that goes against that innate peace that's in them. Um, and most of these, I will tell you that those who have the greatest challenge are those who ha have less of a faith. The stronger, what I found is the ones that have a stronger faith or develop a stronger faith seem to have a less of an impact sometimes upon their psyche and upon their, their spirit. Um, but they are faced with making a choice of something that will save them and their buddies and take a life, and it conflicts with what they learned is right and wrong. And so they're trying to resolve that issue, and it, it's what we call moral injury. And then what we have found is we now have a training in San Antonio for chaplains to go to, uh, and some of our behavior health people are starting to pick up on this. And what we have found is if we deal with that moral injury, and the greatest challenge that most behavioral health people have to have is that means they have to admit there's an absolute right and wrong. And that's sometimes hard if you don't have the faith. Um, but as we treat the moral injury, we reduce the PTSD and the other symptoms that come from that. What was his job when he was over there? Truck driver? Okay. He, being a truck driver, he would have to have dealt with a whole lot of stuff. Uh, one of our, our girls was a truck driver, and she was up and down the highways of Iraq, uh, firefights going on the road 
uh, all around her uh, when she was carrying ammunition and whatnot. Uh, so huge. Uh, really, in some ways, a lot of your truck drivers saw more stuff than some of the infantrymen did because they're just going up and down the roads, IEDs, things of this sort. Um, the question I would have is he's dealing with some of these symptoms. Has he dealt with the moral injury of, go of what he was and what he was doing? Um, because whether he was the driver or what we call the TC, the, the uh Essentially, the one in charge, he's sitting in the passenger seat. What he had to do to survive on a convoy, if he has not reconciled that within his faith, if he hadn't reconciled that he's dealing with some moral injury, that he needs to reconcile what he saw, what he did, and essentially be able to talk about it, because what I have found for myself, what I've found for my soldiers, is the more you talk about it, the more you deal with it, the more you share your story, the less the results are. Um, one of the people who, one of the things I've looked at is those, I think, that were impacted the most, when we look through our history, impacted the most with some of the greatest challenges of our Vietnam vets. Because what our Vietnam vets have to come back to? Huh? Hate. Really, they came back, and you look at, and then this is not trying to, to cause challenges or issues, but I'm going to use an example. You look at somebody like John Kerry, who was an officer in, in Vietnam, comes back, and now he's fighting against the war and calling some of his his counterparts that he was there with some pretty bad things. You, you come back as an individual. One of the good things we're doing, we're bringing units back. You don't come back as an individual. A lot of these Vietnam vets were coming back as individual replacements. They come back alone. They don't have a support system. And also, when we come in Vietnam, it's one of the first wars that you can go from war back to civilization in a matter of a few hours versus others that you took a long boat to get back. And you told your stories, whether you're an individual uh, that was revolving out or a group, you had a chance to share your stories and walk and talk about those things. Um, a lot of my soldiers, when I came out of Iraq, within five hours maybe, I think it was, we were out of Iraq, and they had just been having combat as they were trying to get out of Iraq, and let it in Germany within four or five hours. And so you don't have that chance to, to transition as needed. And the quick moving sometimes that we do uh, in the military, this is the move we're making this summer is our ninth move in 13 years. Um, and some people choose to make them quick moves because they oh, I just don't want to deploy again. And they go to a unit and they deploy again. Having some conversations, Vietnam vets had to shove those things down. They weren't able to talk about it because they didn't know who they could trust. They didn't know if they could trust somebody coming back from combat or trust their neighbors. So they shoved it down and shoved it down and shoved it down. If you take a trash bag and you put trash in it, and if you put trash in it and you keep shoving it down, what's going to happen? That trash is going to come out one way or another, right? So it comes out the wrong way. If he's not opening up and sharing, he needs to open up and share. Greatest thing that Dee Dee ever did for me is when I came back from Iraq, she said, I wasn't there. They're just stories. Share it with me. I know the ending of the story because you're here beside me. It's all good. And so I shared, I talked about it. And it made a difference for me to be able to better adjust. I'm going to share his stories. Without judgment, without anything, just, hey, well, you don't get it. I, I just want to hear the stories. One of the things I do for my soldiers from Iraq is that we had lost 19 soldiers there, and I post the picture on the anniversary on Facebook, and what I find is my soldiers talk more and more and more 
And the more I talk, the more I see them changing and adjusting and becoming better each year. So the other thing would be getting him connected with people, especially now that he's retired. Sometimes you can feel separated from that and being able to just talk and share and allow him to be able to reconcile the things he saw and had to do with his faith and let him know God loves him. It's all good. He understood. Anyone else? That's awesome. I want to protect you from my mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't work so well. My soldiers keep telling on me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, my soldiers keep telling on me. She says, you didn't tell me that. Well, about that. <laughs> then I tell my soldiers, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, one of the things we're facing within the military is the homosexuality, the transgender uh, challenges. Some of the questions that people sometimes ask me is, do you have to do all the services for all soldiers? No, I do not. Um, my, my, one of my primary roles is to protect the re religious freedom of all. And some would say, well, have you given up your, your salvation then? I mean, no. Because here's the reality within that piece of it. If I ensure that, let's say, a Wiccan um, is able to practice their faith, I have two jobs, I perform or I provide. Perform is everything within the Assembly of God's the Protestant denomination that the Assembly of God says I can do. I don't baby baptize and uh, other things. Um, I do. Provide is anything outside of that realm. I'm ensured religious freedom because if I prevent somebody from practicing their faith by not giving them a space or providing them something, I'm not trying, I'm not taking and supporting their faith so much as I am ensuring that I can continue to serve within the military and share my faith. And because I have been compassionate enough to provide, they come back to me and say, you know what, let's talk. And there have been numbers over the years who have come to me and said, because of what you did to care for me, to love on me, to accept me where I was at, I've accepted Jesus. So understand, chaplains are not performing Faith's outside their, their faith, but what they are doing is ensuring that I get to continue to be that present. Besides, if I know who the Wiccans are, I know who to pray for. 
If they don't feel I'm going to take care of them, then they're not going to come see me. And now I don't know who they are. I don't know how to pray for them because now I know who they are. (laughs) You think you're so smart. (laughs) I will tell you that some of our greatest challenges is dealing with transgender homosexuals. Um, Here is the Assembly of God endorser, my endorser, Scott McChrystal. Some of you might recognize the McChrystal name. Uh, He is the older brother of General McChrystal. Um, We all, including Scott, wishes his brother was more like him, not in the the faith-wise, but he is the older brother. Uh, Scott McChrystal served as an infantry officer in the... uh, in Vietnam, as a platoon leader in Vietnam, uh, served up till he was a major, got out, joined, went to seminary, came back in as a chaplain, and retired in 2005 as a Fulbright colonel. Great man. Um, and the Assembly of God understands that chaplains are on a mission field, that what we have to do is be a missionary um, to the people there. And so... Instead of really restricting our ability to minister to the various groups within the army, they have actually given us freedom. They've given us left and right, right limits, said this is what you can't cross. You know, we can't endorse uh, homosexual marriage and things of this sort. But they allow us to minister, to love on them, to share with them, to meet them where they're at, and just... Be Christ to them um, and not shove them away. There are some chaplain endorsers who have been very strict down the line. You can't do X, Y, Z that is really binding their hands up. And I've seen chaplains change endorsers so they can do ministry because their particular endorser is saying you can't do X, Y, Z because if you do that, then we're going to take your papers. Now, I should tell you that as an assembly God chaplain, I worked really for two people. I served at the pleasure of the Assembly of God as an army chaplain. I have to have an endorsement. If I violate Assembly of God principles and and doctrine and guidelines, they'll come and talk to me, smack me on the wrist and say, don't do it again. If I continue to disobey and not follow the guidelines, they will take my endorsement away. And if I don't get another endorsement, I have 30 days and I'll be out of the Army. So just so you know, I have certain rules. So I must follow with the Assembly of God. Um, And I think that's important to know that it's not just about the coming in the Army and I get to stay in the Army as long as I want. Now they can pull my endorsement for other reasons, for good reasons. They need me someplace else and things of that sort and they rarely do that. Because the Assembly of God... The great thing you should know about the Assembly of God, Assembly of God chaplains are sought after in the military. Commanders seek after Assembly of God chaplains because uh, they are some of the best chaplains uh, in the military because we are very, very strict about um, who is brought onto the active duty or into the military, both Reserve National Guard and active duty. Uh, you should be very proud about our Assembly of God endorsements. Um, and the chaplains that are there because they just, there are some endorsers, you pay them 200 some odd dollars a year, they don't care what you, how you live and what you do and, and what you believe. They don't have any restrictions to you. You can do whatever you want. And I will tell you that there is one of the reason, ways I, reason I do what I do within the military is because I always wanted to. My calling, I felt the call at 10 years old to be a chaplain. Of course, at 10 years old, I felt like going outside and play, too. Uh, <laughs> it was reconfirmed as a teenager, uh, and so I joined at 17 because I wanted to be a part of it, but I wanted to know. Uh, but one of the things that impact my life is uh, my first sergeant, who I am happily married to, my first sergeant's daughter, back when I was an A2, which causes a lot of first sergeants to twitch and privates to, to get wide-eyed. But her dad went to basic training as as about a three-day-old Christian, and he observed the observed the chaplain doing things that 
and it was a Christian chaplain. Maybe it was a priest. I don't know. It was, but probably a Christian chaplain. Probably his chaplain went to chapel, I'm sure, or something. And he saw the chaplain doing things that were just not in line with what he knew was right. And he said, if that's what being a Christian is, and I was doing that before I got saved, what's the difference? And the rest of his life, he never did live that we saw. I mean, he led Dee to the, to the Lord and taught her about that and made sure prayers were done and whatnot. So he still had a faith, but he never lived that, per se. And I don't want to be the one that somebody says, you know, he did it, so what difference does it make? I want them to say, well, he did it. That makes a big difference. I want to be like that. So I fall under the civil government, as we started off with. I have responsibilities to care for the soldiers and, and uh, leaders within the army. I fall within the rules and regulations, but I also fall within the laws that say that I do not have to violate my faith. I play within those within the civil government, and I encourage you to keep our government in prayer because it impacts. Choices make impacts Sons, daughters, husbands, wives. And it's your prayers that can impact even greater to prevent some impacts that happen in young people's lives. And yours here. So I encourage you to do your studies. Look at the Word. Study for yourself and say, what is my civil responsibilities? One of the things I really wanted to do was be on a jury. I had an opportunity for one, and they kicked me off, and I was disappointed. I was saddened because I, I, not that I want to take and put somebody in jail, but it's a responsibility. And who better to be on juries than Christians who understand the heavy weight of what you're sentencing somebody to, especially if you're going to sentence somebody to death and great prayer that needs to go with that. So take a look at what Scripture says. We looked at some, and there's many more. As I've put some things together over the last 24 hours for the night, there's a long list of things that are dealing with civil government and our responsibility to be engaged. And at times, we're going to have to do like Paul and Silas and the apostles did and, and realize that our faith must come first, but we've got to be willing to realize there's consequences for that and not be afraid of them, but to embrace them like they did. And let's have an impact for our world in that civil responsibilities we have. Amen? Let's take and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and I thank you for the opportunity to humbly be before this people and, and bring forth your word as we deal with our responsibilities as, as citizens of this world and this country that we live in. Lord, may we to create muscle memory that we as first responders would immediately go to prayer over situations instead of just discussing them or complaining about them, but put more energy into the prayers for our nation, for our leaders. Lord, we see many leaders, they start out strong with their faith and they get impacted by the world that they are dealing with and we come before you and lift them up. We lift the president up tonight, Heavenly Father. Lord, we lift up the many people who are running for various offices from the local to the national level over the last several days and we see the results of that. Lord, there's other elections that will be upcoming based upon these elections. We ask that the wisdom of you would be there. That those who profess to be men and women of you will hold strong to that to impact change as they go through their campaigns. The leaders of our military, Heavenly Father, who weigh the questions of of combat who impact eternities of people's lives. Down to our local level of the mayor and the city council, Heavenly Father, who have the responsibility within our city 
that impact our lives, may they have wisdom and your wisdom. May we spend time each day praying for the various leaders. Lay upon our heart those people that we need to pray for. Lord, I praise you that uh, the government is there. But then also, Heavenly Father, that may we have the strength of people that we see around the world in China, Russia, and in Iraq, Heavenly Father, and the various other countries that are oppressed who still say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May we be willing to be able to be strong enough to say that here in our country if it ever comes to that point. Go with these people tonight. Bless them, Heavenly Father, with your strength and power. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Doc 